right. Good morning, Faith Church. You may be seated. Thank you to Pastors Frank and Lisa for the opportunity to speak to you. We honor them. Pastor Elena sends her love. She's holding down the fort in New Jersey. She's speaking there. She's in the middle of her message right now for the first service uh, over in New Jersey at Epic. And I want to let you know, we do have some resources. We have some CDs. We have some uh, series on USB as well. They'll be available in the lobby. I'll meet you there after church. I'll be back there at the table. And uh, and we want to bless you with those things. So, you know, what we sell them for in New Jersey, we sell them for 40% off when we come here. So it's a uh, Sunday morning blue light special for you. And we'll be there in the lobby right afterwards. We're going to dive right in this morning. Let's pray. Father, we pray that in your presence today... We would hear your voice through your word speaking to us, that we'd have ears to hear what your spirit would say for us as individuals, for our family, uh, for our church family, for our community, Lord. We give you all the glory for it. We'll receive it, hear it, do it, run with it, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. It has been said that life is about 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to what happens to you. I want to talk about a powerful principle this morning, and it is the principle of resiliency. The simple definition I want to give you for resiliency is this, is that resiliency is bounce-back ability. Bounce-back ability. Today we're going to go to a place in the Old Testament where I think it's actually the, uh, the most poignant example of resiliency in all of the Old Testament, and we'll take a look at it, we'll unpack it, we'll observe it, and we'll apply it today. Will you open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 30? 1 Samuel chapter 30. Let me give you the context and the background. Uh, When Israel was led by the judges, at one point in time, they cried out for a king. They wanted to be like the other nations. All the other nations had a king, and so they cried out for a king, which, by the way, wasn't good motivation. God wanted them to be a unique nation, and yet they wanted to be like everybody else. So God said, fine, I'll give you a king. And so he instructed the prophet Samuel to anoint a man named Saul as the first king over Israel. Saul was, uh, the Bible says, head and shoulders above the rest. He was a really good-looking king. On the outside, he was a great-looking king. But on the inside, he was not. Uh, There were several things that he did uh, in the way of disobedience towards the Lord. We don't have time to kind of detail all of those. But one in particular, uh, God instructed King Saul to take the army out and to go up against the Amalekites and to wipe out the Amalekites. Everything. Don't leave anyone standing. Don't take any spoils of war, all their livestock, all their sheep. Kill them all because, he said, it was time to exact vengeance on the Amalekites for attacking the Israelites when they came out of Egypt without even having an army. So hundreds of years later, God said, now's the time. Saul, go and do this. And so Saul takes the Israelite army and he goes, and he attacks the Amalekites, and he wipes out almost all of them. How many of you know incomplete obedience is disobedience? I'll try this side of the room. I said, how many of you know that incomplete obedience is disobedience? It is. And so 
God tells Samuel the prophet, hey, Saul didn't do what he was supposed to do. And Samuel goes to confront King Saul. And Saul greets him with, Samuel, great to see you. I have done everything that the Lord told me to do. And Samuel says, really, then what is the sound of bleeding sheep in my ear? He said, oh, yeah, those sheep, that's right. We did keep the best of the livestock, and we kept the best of the sheep. Um, you know, the, the military did that. I, I didn't do that. The, the soldiers, they did that on their own. Oh, and we did it to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Saul also kept back the king of the Amalekites, Agag, and he imprisoned him instead of executing him. Samuel looks at Saul and he says, you know what? To obey is better than to sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And because you've done this, the Lord has taken the kingdom away from you and given him to another man who's better than you. A man after God's own heart. He's your neighbor. He's better than you. You're out and he'll be in. And with this, of course, Saul has a meltdown and and he pleads and he pleads and Samuel will not relent other than to go out before the people once again with King Saul to work. Worship. So the two of them go out together and they worship before the people. When they come back, Samuel says to Saul, now bring me King Agag. And he brings the king of the Amalekites. Samuel takes Saul's sword and kills him right in front of Saul. And then he goes to walk away. King Saul reaches out for the robe of the prophet Samuel and he rips it. He tears it. Samuel looks back at Saul and says, so has the Lord torn the kingdom from your hands. But it grieves Samuel. It grieves him. He starts to actually like mourn for King Saul until the Lord speaks to him and says, how long will you grieve? How long will will you mourn for him forever? Fill your horn with oil and go. Go to Bethlehem to the house of a man named Jesse where you'll anoint a man after my own heart. Now, of course, nobody can know what Samuel is actually doing because there's still a king in Israel. You can't anoint another one or it's going to cause big trouble. And so he goes under the guise of, and he actually does offer a sacrifice. He goes to Bethlehem. They're wondering, why are you here? Because sometimes if a prophet showed up at your town, it wasn't for good news. And so back then, and Samuel shows up, he says, oh, no, 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 I'm here for a sacrifice, a celebration, a feast, uh, and invite Jesse and his son to the sacrifice. Jesse has eight sons. Jesse brings seven of them with him to the sacrifice. And at a certain point, with the horn filled with oil, Samuel steps up and he goes to Jesse's oldest son, Eliab. Eliab seems to be a lot like Saul because he too is head and shoulders above the rest. He's a really good looking young man. Samuel says, this must be the next king. And God says, stop. I have rejected him. For man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Samuel goes to the next son, Abinadab. I have rejected him. Next son, Shammah, I have rejected him. Seven sons pass before Samuel. And finally, he looks at Jesse and says, do you have any more sons? Jesse says, well, yeah, yeah, you know, I've got this one other son. He's out tending the sheep. And Samuel says, we will not 
sit down until he comes in. And so they go out and they get this little ruddy young man. He's, he's, he's got to be less than 12 years old at this point because he hasn't been bar mitzvahed yet. And so he, he comes in. The Bible says, you know, he doesn't look like the rest of them. He's not head and shoulders above the rest. As a matter of fact, he's a redhead. He's a redhead with light eyes. But he, the Bible does say he's a good-looking kid. And he comes in and the Lord says, this is the one. Samuel anoints, he pours this anointing oil on this little boy. Now, listen, nobody knows what that's for. Only Samuel and God know this is the next king. Nobody else knows what this is for. Something special, but they're not thinking king. After that, celebration's over. Samuel goes back to his home in Ramah. David goes back out to the sheep, tending the sheep. But now at this time, since the spirit of the Lord has departed from Saul, the Bible says a distressing spirit has come upon him. And he goes into these fits of rage publicly. Finally, somebody says, well, you know what? What if we get somebody to like sing to him when this happens? Like sing some songs, some spiritual songs. Maybe that'll soothe him when he goes into this rage. And they, they, you know, anybody know anybody who can sing some songs? They say, yeah, there's this little kid. He's, uh, you know, this little redheaded kid. He's over in Bethlehem, son of Jesse. You know, he's out there with the sheep, but he's got his guitar with him. And he's kind of like this little singer-songwriter guy out there on the hills. And he's pretty good. He's got a high-pitched voice, but he's pretty good. Bring him. And so David gets invited to appear before King Saul as King Saul goes into a fit of rage, probably foaming at the mouth. And all of a sudden, David whips out his acoustic guitar and starts singing things like the 23rd Psalm. And it soothes Saul. And so Saul says, okay, fine, you've got to stay here now because anytime this happens to me, you've got to start singing. And so David says, yeah, but I've still got the sheep. You know, can I go back and forth between my dad's house and here? And Saul says, okay, that's fine. I need you here a lot, but you can go back and forth. Meanwhile, since the spirit of the Lord has departed from Saul, the Philistines now decide to attack the Israeli army and the Israelites are in effect leaderless. Saul's just in his fits of rage. He has no capability of making any decisions. And in those days when the two armies would go up against each other, they'd come into a, to, to a, to a valley. And on each side of the valley, the armies would array. And the armies would choose a champion to represent the entire army. Matter of fact, in ancient times, they not only represented their nation, those champions, but supposedly they represented their gods. Israel's on one side of a hill. The Philistine army is on another side of a hill. The Philistines choose their champion. You know the story. Goliath of Gath stands taller than nine feet. Definite pituitary gland issues. (laughs) Wearing 125 pounds of armor. His spear, the head of his spear is 90 pounds. And he's barking blasphemies at the Israelites and their God. Their knees are knocking. They're not sending out a champion. Saul's in his tent. 
But at this time, David is back at his dad's house, taking care of the sheep for a little bit. And his dad says, listen, your, your three oldest brothers, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah, they're with Saul uh, going up against the Philistines. And, and so go, go bring them lunch. Here, here, go, go bring them lunch. And by the way, go to the king and give him some, some, some cheese and, and some nuts. Bring him. So David loads up his little red flyer wagon and, and he heads off to where the battle is. And when he gets there, he sees and he hears is Goliath of Gath barking out these blasphemies. And he hears this, he sees this. Abinadab, his oldest brother, sees him and says, what are you doing here? What, you're just an ambulance chaser. You're just here to see the bloodshed. Why don't you just go back to dad and take care of those few sheep? And David, in his little 12-year-old voice, probably changing, probably like, I don't know how many of you remember Peter Brady, when his voice changed, uh, David looks back at his older brother and he says, is there not a cause? And he goes into the tent of Saul, King Saul, and he says, I'll take care of that uncircumcised Philistine. And he says, well, how do you do that? He says, well, when I was watching my dad's sheep, there was once a bear and there was once a lion and I took them out with my bare hands and this uncircumcised Philistine, he'll be like one of them. Saul's like, okay, here's, you can wear my armor. <laughs> Little David probably can't even find his way through the armor. He finally takes it off. He says, no, I haven't tried these things. And he goes out and he goes down. Now listen, when they're arrayed in these two uh, sides of this valley, what would happen is the champion would come out and go down into the valley and challenge the other army. Uh, the Bible tells us this about Goliath. He was so brazen, he would come down and go up their side. David comes out and he goes down. There's a brook at the bottom. He gets five smooth stones. Five, the number of grace. But how many of you know, sometimes you don't need five. You may have five, but you only need one. David gets that rock and he puts it in that sling. And Goliath looks at him and says, what are you coming at me with rocks? What do, you, do you have some sticks too? What am I, a dog? And David says, yeah, you come at me with a, a spear and a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will feed your flesh to the birds of the air as it is this day. And David takes off running at Goliath. While all the other soldiers thought Goliath was too big to hit, David thought he was too big to miss. So he's running at him and... Now, Goliath is so, like, bold and cocky and arrogant, he didn't even put the visor down on his helmet because they would have wore a visor in that day. He kept the visor up. The Bible says that that rock, supernaturally guided by God, hits Goliath smack between the eyes and sinks into his forehead. Goliath falls face First, on the ground, little David comes over and probably with all his might, pulls out Goliath's own sword, kills him first. How many of you know that's a good idea, right? He kills, squish, he, he kills him, and then he whacks off his head, holds up his head. And you see, when you chose a champion, the whole army was in 
the champion. So whoever wins, the, the champion wins, the whole army wins. So all of Israel is in David. And since David wins, all of Israel wins. How many of you know we have the champion of champions? His name is Jesus. And if you believe in him, you're in him. And his victory is your victory. But the Israelites chase the Philistines, wipe them out. David takes Goliath's own armor to his own tent, kind of like a trophy, and then and he and he and he keeps the head. He walks around with the head. If you look in the Bible, he walks around with the head for for a pretty long time, all the way back to his place. When he gets back to his place, Saul says, "Who who was that kid?" And his assistants are like, "That's the kid that plays the guitar and sings." I know you're in a fog right now, but but you you know, son of Jesse. He says, oh, bring him back. And when he comes back, he's still got the head of the giant. Yeah, he still has it. And he, and he presents it to Saul. And Saul says, okay, now you don't go home anymore. Now you don't go back to your father's house. Now you stay here full time, 24-7. How many of you have ever heard the, the, the phrase, keep your friends close and keep your enemies closer? Saul now eyes him with suspicion. And it's confirmed when they walk outside of the palace together and all the women are singing songs of victory and they start singing, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. This throws Saul into one of those fits, but not just one of them, many of them. And they intensify to the point now when when he throws one of these incredibly demonic fits and David starts singing to him, you know, he doesn't get soothed immediately. As a matter of fact, on one occasion in the Bible, it says that Saul took his spear and threw it at David while he's playing to try to pin him to the wall with it. Can you imagine this kid has to play and sing songs about the Lord? Duck, get back up. And sing and play some more. I mean, what a heart to be able to do that, to be able to to still love somebody who's trying to kill you. It's a lot of details and we don't have time, but it gets so bad that David's got to leave. And so David leaves. He flees for his life into the wilderness. God sends him 400 men. 400 men, they were all in distress, they were all in uh, debt, and they were all discontented, the Bible says. 400 men, they're fighting men, they're warriors. First Chronicles tells us that all 400 of them somehow have the ability to both sling and throw and bend bows with both their right hand and their left hand. So these are David's ambidextrous ex-cons, that's who these are. And he's got 400 of them, and they're hiding now in caves throughout the wilderness. They'll become 600, but at first they're 400. And one time, you know, Saul is pursuing him. Saul's got the army pursuing David. And David's hiding in caves with his men. And one time at the cave of Adullam, when these men came to him, Saul's walking by with his army at one point. And he tells his army, stay right here. I've got to go into that cave because I uh, have to relieve myself. This is in the Bible. And he goes into this cave. He doesn't know he's going into the cave that David's in with his men all the way in the back. He goes way back in the cave so nobody sees him. He, he you know, does his business. How many of you don't need a definition of what that is? But anyway, he's, 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 and David sneaks up on him. Tells his men. Takes his robe. Cuts a corner off. 
When Saul's done and walks out of the cave and rejoins his men, David waits till he's, he's a far enough distance away, comes out of the cave and says, Oh, my king. Saul says, Oh, uh, my son, my, my son. He says, The Lord delivered your life into my hands today, but I will not lift my hand up against you. I will not touch the Lord's anointed, even though he's not anointed anymore. It's another time that God gives Saul into the hands of David. And there's so many more things that happen. David has to feign madness before King Achish of the Philistines. There's another time he joins his men to the Philistine army for a while. Doesn't really work out. So he splits from the Philistines. And then there's a time when they make their way, David and 600 men, with their wives, with their children, a big group of people, make their way to a camp called Ziklag. They pitch their tents there, although it's not going to be just a temporary place. It's going to be rather permanent. Ziklag will be like a village. Um, They'll stay there a year and four months. And once they're there in Ziklag, the Philistine army is three days away. They go up and they fight the Philistine army. They get a victory. The spoils of war. They're heading back to hometown, home base, which is now Ziklag, which is where we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 1, where it says, And it came to pass, when David and his men were come to Ziklag, on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south, and Ziklag, and smitten Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives that were therein, They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. Then David and the people that were there lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captive, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. Stop right there for just a moment. David came to Ziklag and lived there again with his family, his men, their families. They've been there for almost a year and a half. They go out to battle against the Philistine army. And while they're fighting over there, while they're shedding blood over there, while they're risking their lives over there and getting the victory over there, when they come back to Ziklag, when they come back home, waiting for their wives and their children to greet them, their wives to give them hugs and kisses, their kids to start clapping and singing and all that. While that's what they expect, they find that there are no women singing when they come home. There is no aroma of bread baking. No, there's a completely different odor. No children running and laughing. The camp's not only deserted. Every tent is not only empty. It's been burned to the ground. Women and children, gone. Now the Amalekites who did this, they were Israel's fiercest enemies. They were specialists at preying upon vulnerabilities. They were experts at going after weaknesses. So, so, so they attack while David is fighting on another front and they attack the defenseless women and children. Think about this. 
after fighting a fierce battle against perennial enemies, David comes back to everything they've built being burnt to the ground and his own family being taken. His men, his fighting men, his, these rough, tough warriors, they break down and they weep from their guts until they cannot weep anymore. They cannot be consoled. They're lying in the dirt, covered with sweat and blood. They're shouting in anguish of soul, where is my wife? Where are my kids? And you, son of Jesse, you, you made us go out to battle at the wrong time. You were careless. You were reckless. You didn't think it through. Oh, you thought about your battle, but you didn't think about my family's security. This is on you. My home was burnt to the ground. Everything I own, I lost in the fire. And I may never see my family ever again. And it's on you. Fellas, I say we kill him. Fair or not, that is what is on the mind of these wild-eyed warriors. You see, Ziklag is the place in your life when you're fighting on one front and get attacked on another front. You're fighting over here, and a simultaneous battle erupts over there. You're battling one demonic foe over here, and another one attacks over there. And although this situation can apply, and we will apply it in a more general sense, but specifically, if you really look at it, this is an attack on your family. This is an attack on your immediate family, your spouse, your children, those closest to you. You're, you're, you're fighting in other areas. You're doing your best to get the victory. You're, you're fighting to get ahead. You're fighting in your business. You're fighting in your career. You're fighting for your finances. And the enemy comes in behind your back and gets into your house. More generally speaking, but equally applicable, Ziklag is where before you can get a breakthrough in one area, here comes something else. It's compounded adversity, compounded trouble, compounded attacks, attacks that you didn't see coming, you got sucker punched, it was a surprise attack, and you were not prepared for it. It's where you're exhausted you're, and, and, and you're dumbfounded. Something jumped you. You didn't plan for this. And it pushed you to your breaking point. But I do have to say this before we go any further, just so that you know. If Ziklag doesn't happen, there will be no crown for David. Your, your Ziklag is part of your process. Your Ziklag makes you stronger. Your Ziklag actually drives you to your knees to seek the Lord like you've never gone after him before. Now, these men had been in a fight, and fights are exhausting. Even when you win, fights are exhausting. Even when you win, you'll incur some damage. Even if you win, you might do so with a black eye and a bloody nose. You'll, you can win and still get stabbed. You'll have bruises. You'll have battle scars. You see, you can be a winner and still be wounded. You can win and be tired. You can win and be weary. You can win and have nothing left for the next battle. Like you can bring your marriage back from the brink of divorce and be exhausted from saving it. You can win a lawsuit 
and be drained emotionally and financially by it. You, you can be reinstated to your former position or, or you can win the promotion at work, but you had to scratch and claw and put in the long hours. You, you got it. You won, you, but you're spent. You're a crispy critter. You're battle weary. You can win and still have PTSD. You go to bed tired. You wake up tired. And every day feels like it's three days long. By the way, what I'm teaching you tonight is not a Bible lesson. This is not a sermon. I'd like to say it to you this way. Welcome to my world over the last 18 months. My wife and I, Pastor Lane and I, have been living Ziklag for about 18 months now. Many of you don't know the story. Only a few of you probably do. But in New Jersey, I grew up in New Jersey. and And I was the youth pastor at a church called Faith Fellowship. From 1987 to 1991, Faith Fellowship became the largest non-denominational church in the history of the state of New Jersey. Uh, in recent years, it had declined, but at one time, it was, it was the largest ever. Back in 2016, uh, the founding pastor of that church, you may have heard of him, David DeMola, Back in 2016, he formally, after we'd been talking about it for about a year, he formally asked me to go on record uh, and, and, and memorialize it and all that kind of stuff to be his successor should something happen to him. Fast forward, February 27th, 2018, he went home to be with the Lord. I was called immediately before they removed his body from his home And we were there the very next morning. Pastor Lane and I were on the very next flight. We were there on February the 28th, 2018. And all of a sudden, truth be told, I'm a pastor of two large churches at one time. And the church in Texas has been doing phenomenal. We we were just about ready to triple in size in eight years. We had already done all the plans to break ground on a brand new cutting-edge sanctuary. And now all of a sudden, we've got to leave. And, and, and Trey's graduating high school. And Gian's going into high school. And how do we tell these people that we've been with for the last eight years? And it's been a wonderful ride. How do we tell them, hey, we love you, but we're leaving you? How do we announce here where so many people wanted this? How do we announce here... Hi, I'm your new pastor here. How do we do that? How do we sell that house, buy a new house? Okay, well, I'll fly here and you fly there and we'll crisscross and you do Texas uh, to my wife. You pastor Texas, I'll pastor this one until we figure it all out. And it was crazy. And then once the announcements came, oh my goodness, when I was announced as the new pastor at what was Faith Fellowship and now is Epic Church, when I was announced, I got to tell you, Jealous and covetous people can be ugly in Christian love, (laughs) on social media, and just trash you and lie and slander and libel and just be as vicious as possible. So we've got all that going on and we've got all this going on and it became crazified. It got so bad that before we had moved into the new house and we were, we, were, we were together one particular weekend and in the hotel in New Jersey where I was staying for a while, it was a temporary home for a little while, 
And it got so crazy that I got up in the middle of the night one night with a panic attack. I'd never had a panic attack. I think this is a panic attack. But I got up in the middle of the night and stood up. And I felt like I wanted to cry and I was horrified. And my wife got up and she said, what's wrong? And I looked at her and I said, where am I? And I I had no clue. She said, you're in the hotel in New Jersey. I said, okay. We had to stay in temporary housing, a townhouse. Not to slam Perth Amboy, it's right next to where the church is, but if anybody knows of Perth Amboy, New Jersey, it's not necessarily Upper Saddle River. Yeah, you know, it's, it's just, it's not, it's, it's, we had to stay in a, we had to stay in a townhouse in the hood for six weeks with no furniture, our family, our dogs, we had to sleep on air mattresses at, for six weeks. By the way, I now know what the preferred bedding in hell is. It's air mattresses. It's horrific. You say, well, how did you sleep? We didn't. We, we worked 12 to 14 hour days every day. And at the end of the day, we ate a meal and it collapsed. Went to bed tired. Got up tired. Every day felt like it was three days long. And yet we've got some incredible victory stories. What has happened in the last 18 months in the church is nothing less than the grace of God and nothing less than miraculous what's taken place in the church. And everybody's impressed with those things. You know, we're always impressed with the mighty warrior. But we never see the struggle beneath. You know, we see the armor but we don't see that there's bruises, bruises beneath the armor. So you can come back with the spoils of war and not be able to fully enjoy the spoils because it costs you so much just to get the victory. David comes back from battle and he's expecting comfort and what does he get? More conflict. Have you ever been there? Have you ever looked for comfort and all you got was more conflict? You expected to rest And all you got was another mess. Your your expectation was it's time to take a vacation, but you couldn't even get a staycation because all you had was more aggravation. And it can wear you down. You go to work, you have conflict. You come home, you have conflict. You go to bed, you can't sleep. You wake up, conflict. Until you don't even look for comfort anymore. You you don't even think you'll ever enjoy the victory. You don't even think you'll ever get a break where you can take a breath. And so you only start to expect conflict. And if you expect conflict, how many of you know you'll attract conflict? And that is exactly what the Amalekites want you to do. They don't want you to be comforted or expect comfort. Only expect conflict. Only attract conflict. Get discouraged and quit. David has fought the Philistines, has been blindsided by the Amalekites, and now his own men want to kill him. You know, to have a battle out there, and then to find the people who you once fought for and who fought alongside of you, now want to fight you. David may have been outwardly injured in the battle, but now he's injured inwardly because he's been betrayed by the people he gave purpose to. 
David's in a bad place. He's at an all-time low. He's tired. He feels a, a, you know, a, a pit in his stomach. He, 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 he feels alone. He's in despair. He's distressed. And then the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6, the second part of that verse. Read it with me. Ready? But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Will you say that nice and loud with me today? Ready? But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Come on, let's go. We can do better than that. This is like the sixth sense a little bit. I see dead people. Okay, let's, let's really get with it, all right? Let's do this. Let's do it like we're a youth group, all right? Let's shout it like we're a youth group. Ready? Let's do it together. Ready? But David encouraged himself in the Lord. Have you ever had to encourage yourself in the Lord your God? Your kids were too busy, they didn't even know you had a problem. Your, your, your spouse is, is exhausted like you because he or she's been fighting along with you. And your extended family couldn't even grasp what you're going through. There's no greeting card that can make this better. There's no Netflix comedy that can lift this off of you. There's no emoji, bitmoji, or gif that can make this go away. Nobody else can do it. Nobody else will do it. By the way, nobody else should do it. This is your work. This is your responsibility. This is on you. Want to know why? Because God has already given you everything you need 2,000 years ago on a hill outside of Jerusalem. Now you're going to have to appropriate. You're going to have to apply. You're going to have to search the scriptures. You're going to have to remember in the moment who your God is and who you are in him. Yeah, you're going to have to lift your hands and you're going to have to get on your knees and you're going to have to get on your face if need be. You're going to have to speak life over yourself. Encourage yourself in the Lord your God. Be encouraged that the Lord is God, that Yahweh is Elohim, that the covenant God is also creator, sustainer, that the one who loves you with an everlasting love controls everything. You need to speak over your own life that the one who saved you will keep you. That the one who saved you will never let you go. He'll never let you down. And he is your Lord and your God. You're going to have to say to yourself, you know what? Jesus is my Lord. The situation is not Lord. The circumstance is not Lord. The, the adversity is not Lord. The tragedy is not Lord. The enemy definitely is not Lord. What other people say is not Lord. What other people try to blame shift or deflect upon you is not Lord. Speak over yourself. Jesus and Jesus alone is Lord. And, and, and I am complete in him. I have the mind of Christ. I have the power of the Spirit. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because Jesus is Lord. Let's pick it up in verse 7. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee. Bring me hither the ephod, and Abiathar brought hither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he, God, answered David, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail 
recover all. Did you see David's inquiry and God's response? David asks, shall I pursue and overtake? God says, yep, pursue, overtake. And then God adds, and by the way, recover all. Pursue. Don't run from, run to. Don't run away from this, run at it. Don't hide from it, confront it. Don't stick your head in the sand and make believe like somehow it's going to go away. Stop avoiding that thing that has been staring you down. Pursue. You know what the Bible says? The kingdom of God suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. This is where you get aggressive. This is where you double dog dare yourself. What does God say? Pursue for thou shalt surely overtake them. God adds. God, he says, you know, shall I overtake them? God says, surely. God adds a surely, not, you, you shall surely, not maybe, not this is a possibility, not let me see, let me, you know, I'll let you know later. No, 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 God, listen to me, God doesn't have to decide about what he has already promised. If a promise has been made, God has already decided. You see, at Calvary, God already decided about your healing. At Calvary, God already decided about your forgiveness. He already decided about your recovery, your freedom, your peace, your joy, your provision, even your abundance. Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them. And check it out. God says, and without fail, recover some. Recover a portion. Hey, at least get back a little bit. Get back enough to keep your head above water. No, 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 no. Without fail, recover all. Listen to me. Recovery is not a possibility. It's a promise. Now believe that it's a promise. Act like it's a promise. Listen, govern your emotional responses and make your decisions like you have an infallible promise from an all-powerful God. Verse 9, so David went, he and 600 men that were with him and came to the brook Besor where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 men abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Besor. So one out of every three of David's men were too tired, they were too exhausted, they were these big, burly, ambidextrous ex-cons, they were, they, these warriors, these fighting men, they were just, they collapsed. 200 of them, two out of, one out of every three. Couldn't go any further. Side note, but very important side note. My family, listen carefully. Sometimes when you're in a battle, an important battle, a significant battle, a battle you absolutely must win. Can I tell you something? Not everybody else can go with you. Not everyone else should go with you. Not everybody else will go with you. Not everyone is up for the battle that you have to fight. Not everyone has the capacity to face disappointment after disappointment after disappointment and still keep fighting onward. So you know what you have to do with certain people? You have to let them stay. You have to let them stay. David didn't rebuke them. He made sure they got the spoils of war. He loved them. Later, listen to me, but he had to keep moving. There are some people you have to love and keep moving. I'm sorry you fainted, but I still have to fight. I'm sorry that you're exhausted. I'm sorry that you don't have the strength. I'm sorry that you can't get it together right now. I honestly feel bad for you, but I can't stay with you. I still have to fight. 
See, see, listen, there are times you can't have an extra burden. Not now. You can't afford to carry somebody else into the battle with you who cannot contribute to the battle. No, listen, you're not mad. It's okay. But they need to stay at the brook while you go up the mountain. You don't have the time or the energy to babysit them. Listen to me. These are supposed to be David's mighty men, not David's daycare. And sometimes you don't have time for the little pep talk and the pat on the back. Let's go. So if they can't encourage themselves in the Lord, well, they got to stay. When 200 warriors did not go with David, David still went. Because he encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. Listen carefully. Stop apologizing about your endurance. Stop apologizing for your perseverance. Stop apologizing for the fact that you're still standing. See, some people get beaten in the battle, while others get better in the battle. I want to say this to you this morning. I believe that if the enemy had more wisdom, he would have never jumped you. You're here. It's evidence that if the enemy had a little more wisdom, he would have never jumped on you. Why? Because you're the kind of person that when that happens, it fires you up. There's something about jumping on you that actually ignites you. It fires you up. You get motivated. Listen, you're more of a threat to the realm of darkness. You fight better when you have to. You fight better when your back is to the wall. You fight better when you have no choice. You're the kind of person who says, listen, if I'm going to go down, if you're anything like your pastor, because I know your pastor, if you're anything like him, here's the kind of person he is. And I believe it's, I believe it has trickled down on you. He's the kind of person who says, if I'm going to go down, I'm not going to go down without a fight. I was going to quit, but wait a minute. My God is not a quitter. My God is a warrior. My God is the undisputed, undefeated champion of all time. My God, his power is unstoppable. His might is unconquerable. His record is, was, and will ever be perfect. And he's on my side. I might as well fight. David went and David pursued. Verse 17, drop down with me. And David smote them. Oh, I like the way that King James Bible says things sometimes. And David smote them from the twilight even until the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all. (laughs) that the Amalekites had carried away and David rescued his two wives and there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. If you've been through battle after battle after battle right now, If you've been facing disappointment and adversity and trauma, if in a short period of time you've had a long period of trouble, it means something's about to happen. Something's about to break loose. Something's about to break through. Now watch this. David gets the victory over the Amalekites with less men than he defeated the Philistines with. Ready? 
you're going to be able to do more with less. Why? Because God is with you. Because God fights for you. Because overwhelming victory is yours through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just say this. Let me speak this over you. In your next battle, even though the odds are against you, God is for you. And if God be for you, who can be against you? You will do less with, you will do more with less because the Lord is on your side and he does for you what you could never do for yourself. A bigger victory with less work. A bigger victory with a smaller circle. A bigger victory with less resources. A bigger victory with less support. A bigger victory with less money. A bigger victory with less effort. Why? Because our God is able. Pursue, overtake, and recover all. Final thought. In the very next chapter, and you can read it on your own time. The very next chapter... Saul and Jonathan, his son, are killed in battle. David receives word from a young man, and he asks the young man, who told you? Because David has learned not to listen to the first thing you hear. The young man proves it by handing over the bracelet and the crown of King Saul. King Saul's bracelet and his crown. David is handed the king's crown at Ziklag. <laughs> he's anointed, then he's anointed king over Judah, leading to him being anointed as king over all of Israel. Le- listen, he'll become the shepherd king. Listen, the shepherd boy becomes the shepherd king to whom God promises that there will never be a throne without a descendant of David sitting upon it. And guess what? So it is this day and will forever be because right now there's a throne in heaven. And you know who's sitting on it? The son of David, Jesus Christ. My family, the crown comes to you at Ziklag. There may have been something stolen from you. There may be something that the enemy burnt to the ground while you were weary. You were fighting on another front while others wouldn't support you. Some may have even turned on you. But your ziklag is evidence. Your ziklag is a gateway. Your ziklag is a portal. It is a rite of passage to new possibilities that you didn't even ever dream of. Your ziklag is your open door to a new anointing. The fight was worth it. Encouraging yourself in the Lord, it paid off real big. Because your pain's about to become your gain. You, because you had the God-given intestinal fortitude, because you had the guts, you're about to see the glory. Because, listen to me carefully, you may be in Ziklag for a year and four months, but that crown is a crown of glory that will never fade away. And that crown that you get at Ziklag, no man can ever take it from you because it was given to you by the Lord your God. At Ziklag. Amen? Amen. Stand with me if you would. Everybody stand.